It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello, world. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where our goal every week is to help you take your next wise step in your financial life. I'm your host and one of the advisors on the show. My name's Mike Bernard, along with my business partner, partner, friend, and financial advisor, Josh Gregory. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Hey, the U.S. stock market has rallied since the election early in November, but about half of all Americans have missed out on the increase. So Mike and I are talking about what you should do if that's your situation here in this hour on Wise Money. That's right. Kevin's traveling today. It's just the two of us, but gosh, a big weighty, weighty topic that's going to impact, well, at least half of you, sounds like. So uh, this is your show, folks. Visit us at wisemoneyradio.com or at Wise Money on Facebook to submit a question or give us a call 574-222-2000. And just also would plug Facebook and Twitter, the at Wise Money Radio, for blog posts, uh, more articles. I think, based on where I believe the discussion is going to go today, there's going to be some charts and maybe an article or two that we'll be posting to supplement the discussion today. So check that out, at Wise Money on Facebook. What are you smiling about already? My nerd alert is going off right now. <laughs> You're already getting excited about your charts going oh, out on of course, of course. Uh, the blog there. All right, so we're kicking off the show with a question from Tom. Tom is 47. Here's what he said. Early last year, I shifted to safe investments in my 401k due to the upcoming election. I haven't made any changes since, but I'm just wondering what I should do next. I'm still concerned about the stock market being so high, so I'm a little reluctant to invest back in the market right now. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm sure this really doesn't come as much consolation to you, Tom, but I'm sure you're not alone in this. As we kind of indicated, a lot of people have... They unfortunately got conservative right before the election and maybe have been quite surprised in the run-up that's come since then. And, um, you know, I I don't know about you, Mike, but it feels like this particular election year, it it seems to have burned a lot of people when it comes to investments. Oh, totally. And, you know, you look out on social media and you know that people have opinions on how the election went and the direction of the country, the economy, all that. But it's all stirring up a whole bunch of emotions in people. And when those emotions start creeping into portfolio decisions, yep. what you do with your investments, man, you got to watch out. That That's where mistakes often are made. But it's very easy to let your emotions drive your investment decision making because it's, and you know, your investment return is somewhat personal and it hurts your feelings if you see the accounts going down, even though that's just part of the normal process. But Josh said to start the show that half of all Americans have missed out on this rally. We're going to talk to you about what that rally has really meant. Uh, But I'm looking at a study here from Gallup. Gallup is a polling institute uh, based on the West Coast, I believe, Josh? Maybe. I I don't know where Um, they're based. Anyway, so 52% of Americans polled by Gallup in early April said they have money invested in the, they don't have money invested in the stock market. That's the lowest percentage in the 19 years that Gallup has been taking this poll. So I do think, I do think emotions have played a part in folks missing out on, on this rally. It's not just, well, I just didn't feel like it. No, Gallup's been doing this poll on an ongoing basis. This matches the, the lowest 
uh, or is the lowest. It'd be interesting to look back on the trajectory of that. You yeah. know, is that a recent phenomenon? Uh, you, you know, you and I were looking at some some data that showed how much money has been flooding out of the stock market in right. the past year and a half or so. So there's total nerd alert, folks. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you can keep up. But speaking of nerd stuff, let me just tell you the magnitude here. So the Dow Jones, which is just the 30 largest uh, stocks in the U.S., back the morning of the election had a value of 18,251. This week, earlier this week, it topped 20,500. So without accounting for dividends or anything like that, that's a 12.3% increase in just three months. S&P 500, which in our opinion is a broader, more accurate view of what the market has done, has done something similar. However, if you got out of stocks and most of the time you'd go to bonds, right? We know if you went to cash, that didn't do anything. You didn't make any money there. But if you went to bonds, so a U.S., the U.S. aggregate bond index, the morning of the election was priced at a $111. Earlier this week, it was priced at $108. So that actually went down. Now that pays a little bit more interest. So let's just say that was flat. Well, and that's what most people do, right? They they jump out of the stock market at times. And if they don't go into something ultra, ultra conservative, like just cash or a money market fund, then often the alternative to stocks is to own bonds. And so, so what you're quantifying here is that not only have maybe some people missed out on a nice rally in the stock market, but they may have jumped into something that is actually declined then. Exactly. That's exactly right. And then the last nerdy thing, and this I'm just hoping to put up on the, the Facebook page following today's show and on the blog. This is uh, research done by J.P. Morgan, okay? And this is available to the public, although most only, uh, only mostly financial advisors tune into this stuff. There's something called fund flows, where there's an organization that tracks how much money is going in or out of stock investments or bond investments. And it's just, it's just enlightening here that how that has moved since 2009. It shows that a lot of investors piled money into the market right at the top in 2007, and a lot of money pull, was pulled out right at the bottom in 2009, so folks got it wrong. Well, that's kind of the norm, isn't it? I mean, it, it is. It's almost uh, the default for most investors to be jumping out when they should be getting in, they're piling dollars in when it's not really any uh, a safe place to be piling dollars uh, into the market. But get this. So this plays to the emotion. Six of the past seven quarters, money's been pulled, net money has been pulled out of U.S. stock investments, even though now we've had just this tremendous run. And I don't necessarily blame people for feeling that way. Number one, yeah, there was a lot of skepticism and fear that the election was going to bring bad things to the market. But number two, from the middle of 2014 to the middle of 2016, U.S. stocks really did nothing. And a lot of people were just frustrated. I've got to make a change here because these aren't doing anything. Plus, we've got this big risk because of the election. i got to get out. And just the data here shows that a lot of people did. Isn't that interesting, though? Because th there are some people out there who approach the stock market with a contrarian's view. They say if the herd is you know, stampeding in one direction, I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction. So here we have all this data showing that people are jumping out of the stock market. So there may be some listeners out there that are taking that as a good sign yeah. that maybe it's time to actually be getting in. That's right. Okay, so so what do you do? So we've just kind of made the case that, um, that fear has likely played a role in half of Americans missing out on the stock market rally. So how do you overcome this fear? Is there a recipe that that 
we could share with folks to help them overcome and avoid this mistake in the, in the future? I, I always point to education, quite yeah. frankly. Um, and it's got to be balanced education because there are plenty of folks out there that are kind of the the doomsayers, they, um, they believe that the, the stock market and our whole economy, maybe our society uh, at large, is uh, about to go into some sort of a tailspin. Yep. But they've been saying that for maybe decades. And often there's some kind of ulterior motive by these people. They're trying to sell you gold or some other alternative investment of some kind. But getting a balanced uh, view on things, not just listening to the people who think like you do, but maybe intentionally exposing yourself to the thinking of people that are very optimistic about the future, mm. right? And I, I've often said that we, uh, we fear what we don't understand. So if you are feeling awfully fearful about the, the stock market as a whole and whether or not that's an investment for you, begin educating yourself. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm going to confess something to you here. Uh-oh. I... I, it dawned on me the other day that I am actually afraid of horses. <laughs> I, and I, it came up, my, my daughter, uh, we kind of live out in the country, and she said, Dad, can we get a horse? And I quickly said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and the reason I gave was, well, they're just expensive, right? I mean, horses well, eat true. a lot. Yeah, okay. So that's okay. the financial advisor. But in my mind, I was actually remembering back to... No, my grandpa had a horse that bit people. Oh my goodness! And Mr. I've known Ed. horses was it Mr. that. Ed? No, it wasn't Mister Ed. His name was Billy. Okay. And I've known of horses that kick people, and you know, I, I look at him. I'm like, I don't know what's going on inside a horse's head. I don't know if he's <laughs> thinking about you know chomping off one of my fingers or kicking me in the in the chest or something. So. You know, all the, the horse people out there today, you're saying, hey, that, that's all crazy talk. Most horses don't bite. They don't kick, any of that. Just come be around them. Start to educate yourself on this, and it will change your outlook. Oh, my goodness. You need to do that with the stock market if that's how you're feeling right now. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's I, I guess I'll call that a good parallel. But listen, we are just scratching the surface on this. We're, we're actually coming up going to address the question, what in the world do you do if you've missed out on the stock market or if you don't trust it right now? So that and much, much more coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thanks for tuning in this morning. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard. I'm in the studio with Josh Gregory. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. Today's content is important to all of us. It's really about how to invest in some of the basic principles coming off of some data that shows half of all Americans have missed out on the recent stock market rally since the election. And we're about to address, address what should you do if that's you. So if you have any other questions or you've got something you're dealing with financially, we'd invite you to reach out to us wisemoneyradio.com, or give us a call, 574-222-2000. All right, so we were just talking about how fear can be a very dangerous component in the overall investment cocktail, and Josh was saying something absurd about his... I'm saying horses horses. are a dangerous component (laughs) in your life. Okay, so Josh knows this about me. I've got this uh, fear of 
of flying. Now, I have to deal with this probably a half dozen times a year. We'll have to fly somewhere for work or something like that. And I'm grateful, by the way, to be a part of many of those. You you enjoy that. It's very entertaining. But I'll go back to the advice. If you're fearful of, of the stock market, it's the the first step is to get educated into how it works and so on. And that's, I, I just admit, I just really don't understand the physics of flight. <laughs> and so it doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense. All right. So let me, let me relay that over to what can drive that fear in most folks when they're investing. And that is how often do you look at your investments? Because if you're tuning in frequently and you tune in a lot when things aren't going so well, that can really fan that flame of, of fear, okay? So here's a couple statistics I thought would be helpful. If you look at your investments or the stock market every single day, 47% of the time it's negative. So let's just say that when the market's negative, you're upset or you're fearful or you're in a bad mood. If you look at your investments every day, half the time you're gonna be upset or fearful. If you don't look at it every day, you just look at it once a month, just on a monthly basis, that drops to only 35% of the time. A month is negative. If you look at it every quarter, only 24% of quarters are negative. And if I'm you look at a trend it, here. if you look at it once a year, only 15% of the time the stock market's negative. And this is over 40 years, folks. Man, if you keep on going from there though, you know, you stretch that out to 5 years that you're really truly examining how your investments do or 10 years, 20 you can get to the point where you're you're almost never negative over that length of time. That's right. And and the point isn't to just, you know, stick your head in the sand and and ignore your investments because you need to make sure you've got good investments and you're rebalancing and you've got the right mix and all of that. But we're about to turn the tide into what should you do? And I tell you, for most of you out there, one thing that you need to start doing is look at your investments less or be disciplined about how frequently you look at or make changes to your investments. Um, so anyway, that's my take. And there's kind of, it's based on evidence there, not just, well, here's my hunch, based on evidence of, uh, of how frequently you should look at your, at your investments. So um, really quickly here, Josh, what do you think? Is there ever a good time to let emotions drive your investment decisions? <laughs> to, tr- to trust that little person that, inside of that you? That smells screaming. like a trick question to me. <laughs> It sort of is. I, although I'm, I'm racking my brain like, okay, you're going to spring some obscure ex- example on me here when no. it actually does make sense. So your investments should line up with your overall financial goals, your, your the risk tolerance in your investments, but also with your risk aptitude, your comfort level. And at that time, you need to tune in to, okay, what's the likelihood that if this roller coaster gets really scary, I'm going to jump off? And, and hurt myself. Yeah, yeah. So you need to tune into your emotions up front. But then I would say there's always a dozen or more reasons why the stock market's going to crash. Always. Yeah. And and over time, how many of those actually pan out? Very few. So once you set your risk tolerance and use your emotions to help guide that, then I would say keep your emotions in check. Well, and if we were going to prescribe some sort of process to walk through in order to either avoid uh, letting fear drive you out of the market at the wrong time or to help you get back into the market if you've been sitting on the sidelines during this run-up that we've been talking about. The very first step is exactly what you were just just talking about. I, I would encourage uh, all of our listeners, if you've never done this before, take a risk tolerance questionnaire. 
it's it's really just a, a series of questions that walk you through, helping you figure out, well, what is your own disposition when it comes to investing? Are, are you a, a risk taker? You like uh, really trying to see what kind of growth you can get? Are you much more cautious? Where, where do you fall on that spectrum? Mm-hmm. But all that's really doing is it's addressing the emotional side of investing that you've been talking yep. about. Yep. There's also, though, the financial need side of the equation. And this has to come out of building your own financial plan. You have to figure out what, what kind of uh, growth uh, do you need to get on your investments for the particular goal that you're trying to achieve, right? You, you know, if you're trying to accumulate uh, half a million dollars for retirement in the next few years, um, you, you're not necessarily going to be able to just save your way there, most likely. Right. You and need to get some growth on on the accounts. And taking some risk to, to get some growth. Yeah, we That's talked it. about that last week as uh, a lot of Americans try and achieve the um, the the goal of having a million dollars saved up, becoming a millionaire, and how fear is one of the stumbling blocks that gets in the way. Yeah. Well, and sometimes though, the rate of return that you need to earn on your investments could be very different than the emotional risk level that you're willing to take. That is the danger. Because I said a moment ago that you've got to tune into those emotions at the time uh, when you're setting your investment, uh, you know, strategy, I guess. But if those emotions take you down a path that doesn't get you to reach your goals, that's that's tough. You're going to have to make have a trade-off there or some sort of sacrifice. That's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why you hear us say all the time that it's important to have a financial coach who can help you cut through a lot of these emotions and strike the right balance there between what you need to accumulate for your investments and what emotions are going to uh, be at play here. It's, it's almost like, uh, Mike, you were... Uh, you did a lot of weightlifting when you were in college, right? And sports yep. and everything. Yep. And, you know, I, I have no problem pushing people um, to push themselves when it comes to their finances. It's a lot like someone trying to get stronger or get better at weightlifting. As long as you have a good spotter there, the only way you're going to get stronger or get better at this is to push yourself a little bit. Yep. And that may mean taking a little bit more risk than you're comfortable with, but that's where the coach there by your side is going to help you um, you know, not hurt yourself financially. So, okay, so that process is extremely helpful. It, for those folks who have missed out on this rally now and are wondering, okay, what do I do? Following that process makes a ton of sense. But then when it goes to now take some action, we would recommend probably not just then going from all the way out of the stock market to all the way in. We That's would right. typically recommend something called dollar cost averaging, which is nerd speak for just dribble a little bit of the investments back or a little bit of the money back into the stock market a little bit at a time over a long period of time. That's right. So, you know, um, maybe you're someone who did jump out of the market. You've got dollars sitting on the sidelines and you're recognizing, hey, I can't sit here out of the market forever. I need to get some growth again. Um, I, I would encourage you to, first of all, go through that process that we just talked about to come up with what's your long-term mix of investments supposed to look like. Yeah. And then begin kind of scheduling out what are the steps you're going to take to slowly transition towards that. So maybe over the course of a year or two years, depending on what size dollar amount we're, we're talking about, you begin shifting chunks of money towards that ultimate goal, that ultimate mix of investments that would be appropriate. Dollar cost averaging is that word that you want to burn into your brain. 
That's why saving money right out of your paycheck, right into your retirement plan at work can be so effective because it's by default dollar cost averaging. Okay, really quick. So say you start along that process or say you never got out in the first place, but you're looking at how high the market's gone and you're getting fearful and thinking you want to make some change. What's a, what's a good recipe to follow there? What advice would you give someone who's just looking at the market rising and this risk and saying, uh-oh, what do I, what do, I do now? Well, I would make sure that you still have that right mix of investments because if you're diversified, you probably have some investments that have really grown in value. They've actually outpaced other investments in your portfolio. So they've they've kind of grown to a larger portion of the pie than you would normally choose. And by definition, some of these might be fairly risky investments. So it may be appropriate to kind of pare that back, prune it back a little bit, sell some of those winners and buy the stuff that's cheap right now. It's called rebalancing your portfolio. That's right. All right, we're going to recap and and finish up this discussion about what to do now if you've missed out on the rally. And then we've got great tax questions coming up, including one about, well, should I go after some of these uh, tax sales, these property tax sales? That's a great question. We're going to hit that and much more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. I've got Joshua Gregory in the studio with me, both of us financial advisors with Corhorn Financial Group. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on today's show. I tell you, it's not only tax time, it's also the start to housing season, and Diane's going to be joining us for a part of next week's episode to talk about recent trends and so on. So if you're thinking about listing your house, we're buying a house this year. Tune in next week for sure. She's going to impart her wisdom on us. Uh, so far, we've been talking about the recent stock market rally and what to do if you've missed out on it. We're going to wrap that up here in just a minute and get to some listener questions. If you have a question, reach out to us, 574-222-2000. That's what Paul did. We'll be taking his question in just a moment. Or go to wisemoneyradio.com or at wisemoney on Facebook and Twitter. You can submit a question that way as well. All right, folks. So thus far in the conversation, we've been talking about how 50% of Americans, this is a Gallup poll said 50% of Americans have missed out on the recent stock market rally that took place since the election. In the 19 years that they've been doing this study, this is the lowest n- amount of Americans that have participated in this. So there was definitely some fear, some market timing that has played a role in this. And just to quantify the magnitude here, the Dow Jones, the morning of the election, was at 18,251. Earlier this week, it hit 20,500. That's an increase of 12%, where over the same time, bonds were down a little bit, or you could say flat. So a lot of people have missed out on this, and we're talking about now what you should do. Okay, pretend that you've stayed invested during that time, but you've watched the stock market continue to grow higher and higher, hitting all-time highs and so on, and you're fearful about what to do next. We've started to unpack that, Josh, but what else What else should people do if they're fearful about how high the market is right now? Well, I hope that all these folks who have been sitting on the sidelines will serve as some sort of a warning to you that you can believe that the market is going in a certain direction and we can be wrong. And you can miss out on some pretty big opportunities, which 
Um, you, you know, you do that long enough or you do that often enough and you can sabotage your own ability to reach your financial goals. So just be warned. Um, yeah. However, one of the, the practical things that you can do, a disciplined approach to making a decision on your investment mix is to always ask yourself, remind yourself, has my investment time horizon changed? Has the goal changed in any way? If it hasn't, then what's going on in the market from day to day, week to week, even year to year at times, mm -hmm. really in the grand scheme of things could be irrelevant other than you know causing a little bit of anxiety, sleepless nights, that sort of thing, if you're too emotionally charged on this stuff. So I would just ask yourself, you know, has anything really changed with my goal? If not, then should I still be sticking to my long-term game plan? That's right. And this just quick evidence of this, I had some folks who, yeah, have been very discouraged about how the market has rallied in the face of all these all of these challenges and so on. They're wishing it would decline, aren't they? Well, no. In fact, they're on pace for their goals. No? And they said, we, we're not really comfortable taking this much risk. We've been sticking with this level of risk for a long time. We now feel we're on track for our goals. What if we downshifted? We updated their retirement plan, their projection. It still worked if they downshifted the risk. And so now they're able to sleep better at night. They're not completely out of the stock market because they're still pretty young. They've got about 30 years left with the money and so they've got to keep up with inflation. But the amount that was exposed to the high risk of the stock market, we've just reduced. And so I, I would tell you that same thing. If, if you're concerned about where the market is right now, tune into your plan, tune into your risk tolerance and see, has anything truly changed? If not, check your emotions, I, I think is what I would tell you. I mean, th that's no promise that the market won't go down from here. Markets have risk. It goes up and down. It's up more times than it's down, but it, it does go up and down. So other than that, check your emotions at the door. Well, and I would just summarize everything that we've been talking about um, you know, this, this idea of getting out of the market and, or staying out of the market, missing out on rallies or being afraid of the next big drop in the market, I would just commit yourself to not making a knee-jerk reaction. You know, be cautious about how much caution you actually play at times. If you think, I've just got to get defensive, you may swing the pendulum too far the other direction and begin missing out. You may uh, take away that growth engine that you need for your long-term goals. And I would also encourage you to use the discipline of only giving yourself specific windows of time throughout the year that you'll make a long-term evaluation on how your investments are doing. Mm -hmm. You know, don't just let the latest news or the latest um, forecast by the talking heads on TV declare to you what you ought to be doing right now. Think long-term and um, if unemotionally you just pick a couple intervals throughout the year maybe to uh, revisit your investments, chances are you're going to just be making a long-term uh, assessment and you're not going to let the most recent noise of the market drive your decisions. Lastly, I know we're going to, the plan is to move on to other, other questions, but lastly, I would say talk to your certified financial planner about this, about how you're feeling. Talking about it proactively can help with that education and can really help you kind of round out your plan and talk about what's best for you. That is much preferred, talking about it in advance. That's much better than waiting until the next little drop and saying, okay, get me out and having a knee-jerk reaction. You know, we don't plug our own services here on the show. This is about financial planning, the, the entire Wise Money show is. But we have some adaptive strategies 
investment strategies that our clients use to help with these sorts of things. And so anyway, just talk to your financial advisor about, about how you're feeling. So, all right, folks, we are completely shifting gears here. We're on to other listener questions and we've got several here. Thank you for your patience. Um, first one comes from Eddie. He called in a couple weeks ago when Ryan was on the show with us talking about taxes and he had a, he had a, he had a very interesting tax question. Here's what he said. I'm wondering if you guys know how much, or you guys know much about property tax sales for houses that people and, and how people do that. That's an interesting question. This is, um, a very complicated way to try to enter into the real estate market. Um, basically, uh, what Eddie's uh, alluding to is a strategy of trying to, to pick off certain um, uh, properties off of sheriff sale lists, that sort of thing. Every uh, spring and every fall, houses that uh, are being forced up for sale because uh, folks have gotten behind on their real estate taxes, yep. um, you have the ability to go basically bid on these. And, uh, and try to, to purchase them for, for a steal, so to speak. Most of them, I don't think, actually get sold because uh, the homeowner hopefully redeems the property quickly by getting caught up on, on those taxes. Obviously, you don't want to see people losing their homes, especially right. over often a relatively small dollar amount that they're behind. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, but, you know, so, so who, who would help you with this? Um, you know, I don't know of any... Uh, coaching services, professionals out there, even realtors, I don't know what kind of incentive there is for them to be holding someone's hand through this process. It seems like most folks I've ever known who uh, operate in this with this strategy, they're kind of do it themselves. They, right. they learn by doing and, and just kind of getting in there. But the question is, uh, should you? Yeah, I was going to jump into that. We had a show, oh, several months ago now. We'll probably talk about it again because it comes off often. I told you Diane's going to be with us on the show next week talking about housing market trends. But the question is, should you? Should you invest your time and money into real estate? And and I have four rules for that on whether you should invest and own rental real estate. In fact, I call them laws as opposed to rules because I see these as unwavering truths. The first one, you need to have capital. Thought you you're need... claiming to be the financial no, emperor no, 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 or something no, no, no. there. Just, just a financial nerd. The first one, you need money. You need capital. I have a lot of people, I haven't had a lot of people that come to me with these sorts of ideas and they think, yes, I can do this, but they don't have any money to put down. It's all got to be financed on credit cards, believe it or not. I see that Ouch. most often. Yeah. Getting a mortgage, but then funding the down payment with a credit card. Can't do this if you don't have capital. Second, you shouldn't do it if you don't have the time to devote to it. Properties, even a property that you want to flip, is you've got to attend to that. It's going to take a lot of time from you. Third, you've got to have some know-how. You've got to have some knowledge so that anytime the littlest thing goes wrong at the property, you can't just rely on someone else to go fix the problem because that gets very expensive. You've got to have some aptitude and ability to, to fix it as well. And then lastly, with rental real estate, you've got a light confrontation because there's going to be times when the tenants will either not pay on time or not respect the property, and you've got to be comfortable confronting them. If you say, I don't want to, I don't want to rent the property, I just want to flip it, well, then instead of light confrontation, you've got to love risk yeah. because you're often seeing this property sight unseen uh, or buying this property sight unseen without an inspection. So... Great question, Eddie. We've got Paul's question about taxes coming up next here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today, spending some of your beautiful Saturday with us. Get out and enjoy this weather. Oh, my goodness. My kids were playing uh, t-ball in the backyard on Valentine's Day earlier this week. It's unbelievable. So uh, my name is Mike Bernard and alongside Joshua Gregory here. And if you missed anything so far, go to wisemoneyradio.com. We've got all the previous episodes right there. You can listen to them right there on the website. You could also sign up for the podcast, invite you to do that as well on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, just search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Uh, that website address, wisemoneyradio.com, or go to Facebook at Wise Money Radio to submit questions as well. And if you're driving, you have a question, give us a call, 574 222 2000. That is what listener Paul did from Niles. Here's his question. I'm retired. I had an income of less than $10,000 this past year. Uh, My question is, that's the only income I had. I'm not on Social Security. Do I need to file any taxes at all this year? Great question, Paul. Thanks for uh, leaving that for us. Uh, the, The short answer is you don't have to file a federal return. And it's because your income stayed low enough. A lot of people don't realize that uh, you have over $10,000, $10,350 worth of write-offs that the government just gives you for being you. Mm-hmm. That is a standard deduction uh, as, as well as a personal exemption. So it adds up to ten grand. So you can have uh, up to $10,350 of income and pay no tax. Right. So... Um, now, the state, on the other hand, uh, is a different picture because they're much more stingy with the write-offs, so uh, you may actually end up having to pay some taxes on the state. Uh, we don't know what kind of income you're talking about here. Is this from a paycheck? Was it money that you pulled out of an IRA? Uh, is it pension income? I, I don't know. Uh, but if they withheld money at the federal level for you, you might want to file because you have some dollars to go get back, potentially. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, not to mention there's several other tax planning ideas that you've got to consider. That's but, the real but, yeah. issue here. Do you need to file a federal return? Well, I would if you had any tax withheld because you shouldn't have any tax to pay. So you should be getting some money back. You probably do need to file an Indiana return or, excuse me, uh, no, Michigan. He's a Michigan, Michigan return. Right. But I believe you might qualify at that level for some sort of property tax credits and so on that would zero out that entire uh, tax return as well, but I believe for the state of Michigan, you'll you'll need to file. However, Josh and I were just salivating here, Paul, at the planning opportunities for you. Uh, let's run through a list. If if you, Paul, or anyone else in a similar situation is thinking, "Hey, sweet, I got a pretty good tax deal," we would say, "All right, what opportunities should you be taking advantage of?" Well, so the question is: Is there coming a day in the future where your income is going to jump to a higher level, and you suddenly are paying some taxes? Whether that's because a pension's going to start, a uh, start, or when you reach age seventy and a half, and the government forces you to start taking money out of your pre-tax accounts, they call that your required minimum distribution. We do see a lot of people have very, very low or no tax when they first retire, all the way up until seventy, and then they've got to take out a whole bunch of money from their IRA, they pay tax on that, plus it means their Social Security is taxable, and that ta- those, those good tax years 
disappeared. Yeah, yeah, your your tax picture can start to snowball against you in those scenarios. So the question then is, if there is a day coming in the future where you're going to pay tax, is it better to proactively take action now so that you can limit that tax in the future? Maybe even pay a little bit of tax now so that you avoid more tax down the road. And one of the strategies that we often talk about is shifting money from an individual retirement account, an IRA, to a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. We call this a Roth conversion. And you're essentially moving money out of an account that hasn't been taxed yet, typically, and into a tax-free account. This is a taxable event, though. Uh, The money that you shift between uh, these two buckets is counted as income to you. And uh, the, the amount of tax bite that is taken out of it is dependent upon what tax bracket you fall into. That's right. So with the right careful planning, you can fairly precisely uh, pin mark or pinpoint right where you want your, uh, your tax picture to be by just shifting the right amount. Here's why I love this idea for you, Paul. And, and unfortunately, there's a deadline with a Roth conversion. It's got to be done during the calendar year. So I know you're asking about your 2016 year. This wouldn't be something you could do for 2016. But this is just the idea... If it continues in 2017, it's going to be similar or anyone else in a similar situation. Here's why I love the Roth conversion. There's no required distribution from the Roth IRA. If you don't use this money, it passes on to uh, heirs or your spouse, also tax-free. But then also, you said, Paul, you're not yet drawing Social Security. That usually is this trap with this Roth conversion where... If you're just living on Social Security and you say, oh, I've got really low taxes, I'll do one of those Roth conversions, those guys we're talking about on Wise Money. If you do a certain amount, all of a sudden it's going to make your Social Security taxable and you can get double taxed, if you will, uh, almost. That not only is the money that you moved for the Roth conversion being taxed, but all of a sudden now your Social Security is going to be taxed as well. With you delaying Social Security, oh my, we don't have that trap to worry about. You don't. And so... That Roth conversion is definitely something to consider. And last thing I'd mention about the Roth, again, we don't know what nature of income that $10,000 is. If it is some sort of earned income, you could also contribute to a Roth IRA. Now, that's not paying tax on additional dollars today, but it's extra ways to get money into a Roth IRA account. That's right. The other thing we don't know about your situation is whether you're married And uh, everything we've talked about is assuming that you're single. But if you are married, the planning opportunities are just that much bigger for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that would just be a reminder to all of you folks. Hopefully, Paul, that that has helped. Um, We love getting questions from you. We love it. And and certainly your information, your specific details are confidential. We don't want to air those uh, uh, over the radio here. But provide as much detail as possible. That will just help us provide as, uh, you know, the, the best guidance as possible. So... Uh, next question comes from Judy. She sent me an email, went to wisemoneyradio.com, submitted a question that way, comes right to my email box. Here's what she said. What effects does the tax form from my students, student loans have on my tax return? This is confusing. It is tax time. You've been inundated with lots of mail. A lot of it you don't understand. It's got crazy letters and numbers on it, 1095C, you know, 1099B, all of that sort of stuff. So if you have student loans, you'll get a tax form regarding the student loan interest. And 
Judy's question is, well, what influence or what in impact does that have on my tax return? Well, the cool thing is the interest that you paid on your student loans serves as a tax deduction for you right on the front page of your of your federal tax return. And you're limited on how much of it you're able to write off. It's only the first $2,500 that you, uh, you spent in, in interest on these student loans. But just like every other deduction out there, a deduction is used to erase some of the income that you're going to have to pay tax on. So in other words, by having up to $2,500 just wiped off of your, your income, um, you're going to get a tax lift from that that is proportionate to whatever tax bracket you're in. So if you're in the 15% tax bracket um, and you had $2,500 that you spent in interest, that's going to translate into 375 bucks yeah. worth of, of tax savings to you. I get a lot of people who maybe have had that. We've done their taxes for previous years. They've had that. And we've got all of their tax return done, but we realize they never gave us that interest statement. And they asked this very question, Judy. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where that is. Can, can we just file the return? And we'll, no, you know, we, that, that's hey, a deduction. Leaving money on the table. That's right. And plus, it's a front page deduction, as Josh said, the, the, the nerds call that above the line, because it helps you on your federal taxes, but also helps you on your state tax. So yeah. definitely something to consider. However, I just want to address one thing. Actually, I'm going to put Josh on the spot. Knowing that you can deduct your interest, does that ever justify having a student loan? No. Could, 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 some, could you say, well... It's deductible, so it's a good idea. I'll keep this money in the bank, and I'll just borrow for my education. Right. I mean, essentially what you're saying is, should I keep on giving $2,500 extra to this lender in interest payments, keep lining their pocket, just so the government will charge me 375 less on my taxes? Yep. That math doesn't make any sense. Yep. I want you to wipe out your student loans quickly. Get rid of them. Stop this $2,500 bleeding that's happening. And find another way. Find There are plenty of other ways that you can find deductions, saving for retirement, uh, funding your kids' education here in Indiana. Yep. Uh, there, there's plenty of other ways that you can find tax savings. Don't just stay in debt because it feels like uh, there's a reward here there's for a tax you. Reward. That's right. That's right. Great question, Judy. I know a lot of folks have that question, so thanks for sending that over. If you have a question, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com. At that, I'm going to leave it to a beautiful weekend, guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.